Hello, Steve. Yeah, how you doing? Hello, I'm fine. Welcome, everybody, to another science edition of vinyl. Science Vinyl. Yep. Episode five. We're up to episode five. Yeah, plowing on with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very enjoyable. So, um, yeah. So I'm in. I'm in London again. We're I'm at Finney Steve's. P. Steve's flat. Steve just had his carpets fitted. Um, I learned the hard way this morning that when you come to a new flat that's had carpets fitted, that you should look out on the floor for carpet gripper. Especially when carrying tea, Nick. Carrying I had my, two cups I had of my tea. brand new light grey carpet down for about <laughs> 14 minutes before you poured tea on it. So Steve booby-drapped his lounge by slowly <laughs> pulling out one piece of carpet gripper onto the lounge floor. <laughs> Just yeah. before I chose to step over a large plastic bag... <laughs> <laughs> Straight onto you, it. You, well, yeah. So I've literally you, you washed, for that. just washed my feet in Steve's bath. Anyway, Nick, if people haven't heard of Science Vinyl, what is it? So Science Vinyl is an exploration of science through the medium of classic albums. So basically what Steve and I do is each week we select an album, a classic album often or something of the time, um, currently in the charts, <laughs> that sort of thing. And then Steve and I go through the track listings and we, we try and in- entertain you guys out there with interesting nuggets of factoids surrounding not only the music, but mainly the science that we interpret to be generated from the titles or the lyrics or the feel of each of the songs. Well, that sounds very interesting and possibly entertaining. Should we get on with it? Yeah! So grab a beer and have a bath with some tunes inside my head. Relax and try and have a laugh with the boys from in this game. So, Steve, what album we got this? Well, of course, everyone that listens to this already knows what album it is because it says in the in the in the listing. Inner Visions by Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Wonder. Stevie Wonder. He's a legend. He, well, I mean, what? Yeah, he is a legend. What 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 do you have to do? Is it just longevity to be classed as a legend in general? Uh, longevity and creativity. Uh, yeah, also talent. I mean, he's he's yeah, because Cliff Richards. Cliff Richards got longevity, but I wouldn't say he's got particular, you know, well, he, knows a, he knows how to sing a catchy tune. He does. He's not a genius, though. Like, you wouldn't call him a he's legend. He's not a multi-instrumentalist, like Prince. You know, genuine songwriting, yeah. you know, prodigy, like, yeah, Prince or Stevie Wonder. Right. He's not. He's a, he's a, he's a, chan- a chanteur. Yeah. Well, yeah, rather than slagging off Cliff Richard, I didn't mean to do, do that. Do you want me Should to tell we, you about Innovisions? Yeah, let's do it. So Innovisions... What was happening when Innovisions was released, Nick? So Innovisions, just to explain a bit about the album first. Yeah. So this is... Do you know how many albums Stevie Wonder had done before Innovisions popped out? His I mind? don't know. I reckon three. No, 15 albums. Jeez, studio studio albums. albums. Yeah. So this is, a good, this is a good point about longevity. So he'd been going since about 61, 62... As but a recording artist, you're right. But when did he get? When did he hit mainstream success? Well, Innovisions is one of his classic. What's referred to as an album from his classic period, right? So that's the albums in the sort of early to mid to late seventies. He released several albums, which are kind of his sort of the core. funk and pop classics are on them. The, the right. album preceding this one um, was Talking Book, and that was the one that's got everyone's uh, wedding disco classic on it. 
Superstition. Yeah, it's a great one. So he'd had some success with this, but this was really his, one he, of his breakthroughs. He went down a bit with I Called to Say I Love You, though, didn't he? Uh, mid 80s, it's a good yeah. tune, man. Uh, no. I've got it 12 inch uh, single at home. My parents, well, my parents look- is it, has the cover of it got him holding a, a, a phone? I think it's got a picture of his happy face. <laughs> he does have a happy face. He's a happy face, but he, with, you know, he's blind. He's like sort of tight, squinty thing going on yeah. with his glasses in the midst of like some kind of fugue. He's undergoing. And when I came to, I'd just written a whole bunch of albums. Anyway, so it's a great album. We'll go through the tracks, so I'm not going to go into those. But it's entirely, he's, it's, he pretty much played and wrote every instrumental part on the whole album. That's pretty impressive. It's isn't it? one of the albums that features the synthesizer, the ARP synthesizer, which a lot of people were using at the time. It's right. a new innovation. Kind of Moog had been around a little bit before, but really synthesizers were only just kicking off. Very shortly after the album came out, he was involved in a really horrific car accident. Right. And he was driving with his mate. His mate was driving. Yeah, hopefully he Behind wasn't. a log lorry. You know, in those... Um, lo- God, the lo- this sounds, sounds like a cartoon. <laughs> you know, though, in America, yeah. they've got those big Mac lorries with massive logs. And they normally have, like, they're articulated. They've got normally two two sets of, tra- of uh, trailers carrying logs. That sort of thing. Yeah. And he, they went in the back of one and a log went into his head. Jesus. Okay? Yeah, he had massive, he was in a coma, he was in a massive brain contusion, so bleeding on his brain. And one of his friends, Ira Tucker, that's uh, a singer in the Dixie Hummingbirds and one of these sort of Motown right. groups. So he said, next day I went right back, got down in Zoom, sang Higher Ground. I'm not sure whether he speaks like this, but he's American. <laughs> his hand was resting on my arm and after a while his fingers started going in time with the sound. I said, yeah, yeah, this dude's going to make it. <laughs> And he did. He came round and he was back to his full health. The album is ranked number 23 on the Rolling Stones all-time list of 500 greatest albums. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd argue with that. I personally wouldn't put it that high, but I think, I think it deserves its place. It's a bloody good album. Arguably his best. I think that wonder aficionados will argue over whether this album is the best or Songs in the Key of Life is. But it's certainly in his heyday. Absolutely. It's Stevie Wonder in his funk, jazz, pop, it is pop, groove, man. Give me some background, Nick. What was happening in 1973? I just said it was from 72, listeners, so we retook the t- take. Nick. Uh, we joined the EEC on the 1st of January officially. We joined in the European... 1973, Steve. Oh, Get with it, mate. The European Economic Community. Well, that's topical, isn't it? Yeah. Women were allowed in the stock exchange in London for the first time. Wow. So everything was going Women downhill. Women weren't allowed in the stock exchange. It's crazy, isn't it? It's insane. VAT started. Right. The Cod Wars were at their height. It always makes me think of something from Star Wars. You know, they used to talk about the, <laughs> like clone, the clone Wars. wars. I can imagine in the midst of the Cod Wars. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, well, Live and Let Die came out. Right. Roger Moore's first James Bond film. Do you what? know how old he was when it's, he started in Live and Let Die? probably really old, isn't he? Probably like, like late, like mid-40s or something. 45! <laughs> and it made me happy, because I thought, oh my God! <laughs> I could still be Bond! Yeah, I could still be Roger Moore. Um, is that, is, wait, is Live and Let Die is the one with the skiing? Yeah, is the yellow... Like England. No, 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 that's um, Spy Love. Oh, I know. Is that Spy Love Me? Yeah, Spy okay. Love Me. No, the one, the one you'll think, this one was the one with the, um, it was a bit of a black exploitation film. Right. So it's kind of topical for the whole theme of Inner Visions, the album as well, so. actually, because there's a couple of tracks relating to that. And um, yeah, it was set in New Orleans, 
and the Caribbean. Oh, There's a famous right, scene yeah. when the, you run the crocodiles. Across the, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. All the alligators or whatever. And it's yeah. got um, Baron Samedy in it. Yes. And all of Jane Asher and yeah. the sort of voodoo stuff going down. Anyway, um, there was a load of other stuff going on as well. Nixon came back for his second term in the US. The World Trade Center opened. Pablo Picasso died. A lot of bombs went off. It was the year after Bloody Sunday. Yeah, so London was a bit of a battleground. And on the 31st of December, the three-day week started. So oh, if you yes. think you got it bad now, jeez. <laughs> it's right to it, yeah. It's well, much well, worse then. It, yeah, and that was just as we joined the EC. Anyway, in the backdrop to that, Stevie Wonder with his happy face, his sunglasses, and his superb musicianship was pumping out one of his all-time classic albums. It's a great series of tracks to use as a topic to discuss science about, so let's Should we crack on. Yeah, let's do it. Next track one. Oh. Too high. Too high. We shouldn't sing it because it's already been just done, hasn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> Too high. Um, I wanted to talk to you about um, humans trying to go high. How so, high? Too high. <laughs> so how high is too high for humans? Um, without breathing apparatus. Yeah. Um, above around mm, 25,000 feet. Uh, 7,000 metres. It's about that, yes. But 26,000 feet is okay. the is the cutoff which where they The consider, death zone. That's exactly right. It's called the death zone, uh, which is obviously where people try and climb Everest. They go up into the death zone and it's very difficult to sustain um, uh, human uh, life above that value. Uh, typically, <clears throat> um, it's... Uh, it's about 30% of the partial pressure of oxygen at sea level uh, above the death zone. And actually, they don't really understand why the... Bo- other than... There's not just the lack of oxygen up there, but there's also a bunch of other biological processes that, that, that no one really understands that um, just don't work above that height. So we're just physiologically incapable of existing above that height for any extended period. We can do it with these, like, with, with the help of external oxygen. You know what's even worse? What? You can't even make a cup of tea up there. You can't because the pressure's too low. And I was going to tell you about that, right? So that's not too high. We're going to go higher. Too high. We're going to go higher. And as we go higher, the pressure reduces. And we've had this conversation before. But what does that do to the boiling point of liquids? I think it goes down. It goes down. Mm. So if you can imagine, we, you know, if, if, if listeners of the Science Shed will remember this discussion we had. But essentially, there's, there's water molecules bouncing on top of... Uh, I think one of the things that makes water... Uh, boil is a, is a combination of the the uh, the kinetic energy they have bouncing around near each other and their intermolecular forces. And if you decrease the pressure above the liquid, then uh, what happens is you require less energy to break the intermolecular forces, and the liquid boils. So as you decrease the pressure, temperature the, the the temperature required to boil it goes down, which is exactly why you can't make a good cup of tea in uh, on the top of Everest. That does boils. sound too high. It's too high. But no, no, keep going, keep going. At some point, you get to a point where the, your your the water in your blood will boil. That's not healthy. That's called that's called the Armstrong limit or the oh, Armstrong uh, barrier. Is that because of Neil Armstrong? No, it's not. How annoying would this be? It's by an Air Force general called Harry George Arm, uh, Armstrong, who's the first person to recognise the phenomenon. You know, that makes my blood boil. <laughs> oh, Steve Visions. Visions. You know what? When I was coming, when I was going to do this topic, I was yeah. thinking about like some, reading a book about um, you know psychological stuff, visions you might have because like, your brain's mashed. Oh, you mean like visions of the future? Oh no, or like, like visions of like 
being on acid or something. Oh, right, yeah. Or having some kind of psychiatric... Like, like the pink elephant scene in uh, Dumbo. <laughs> You've forgotten exact, about that, haven't you? You know, that's exactly what happens. If I've had too many beers, that's just what happens. elephants everywhere, know, here yeah. they are, everybody hopping. And man, don't get me started Look on out. talking crows either. <laughs> crazy. Anyway, but like, I was looking for the yeah. book, and I realised when I was looking for the book, I wasn't reading every book spine. What do you mean? Well, you don't. You just scan your eyes over the books, and it kind of leaps out at you. Right, okay. Do you find that? So this is a book you had, or you it's were looking book, in a bookstore? It's book a book store. that I know of. Right. No, it's in my shelves. Okay. I'm a bit of a loser, and I've got a lot of books at home. Yeah, it's not I've a got, loser. I've good. got, well, I've got five or six bookcases with my books. I don't like electronic. You know me, I'm a Luddite. I did know that. I like physical matter. <laughs> I don't like matter which is it's, stored in it's microchips. Good. It's good. When the, when, the, when the world ends, then Nick will be fine, only with all his ordnance survey maps. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a prepper. Have you got like a go bag full of like t- t- canned food and like and like a, a screwdriver? No, but that's a good idea. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so anyway, I was realising that I was scanning across. I wasn't really reading it, but the book would leap out at me. Okay, yeah. So that's weird, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I suppose so. Yeah. So some people think they've got a sixth sense. I mean, so it's probably, not necessarily about looking for a book. It's probably pattern matching, right? Because you probably know the colour of the book or the style of the font or, you know, that's what you're probably scanning well, for. I found a study back in the day. So this is in 2014. And yeah. it's to do with how good we are at recognising when things change and being able to say that something's changed. Okay. Or to be able to detect differences. So they like show and them the scene and take something out and then show them the same scene Exactly. Again. So this yeah. is exactly what they did. They, they took a 50 undergrad students, they showed them a picture for a second and a half and then they had a pause and they had another photo. And the participants had to indicate if there were a difference between the photos. And if so, what the differences were. Do you know what? I bet the positive, the, the false positives there would be really interesting. People thinking it's changed, but it hasn't. Well, apparently not. They, they, they were very good at accurately detecting if a change had occurred. Right. So that first question, they could say something has changed. But they were totally rubbish, rubbish at saying, even when it was really obvious. What, what like were they in, them? So what one they idea, one yeah. thing they had that yeah. they just didn't notice. In one picture, there was a person's face, a woman's face, yeah. wearing a big sombrero hat. Yeah. And in the next picture, the sombrero hat had gone. <laughs> and they knew something had changed, but they just couldn't verbalise it. Right, OK. So what this shows is you've got your brain is acting unconsciously all the time without necessarily you being able to consciously process the changes in details. But you're able to notice differences or patterns, like you say. So why why is that useful evolutionarily? I is don't it, is, it, is it that we can see if there's a saber-toothed tiger coming to eat us or something? It's a, I mean, possibly that is true. Possibly it's just seeing whether something's... I mean, we're very good at detecting movement as well, and that's mm. important from an evolutionary point of view. So maybe it's important to be able to detect if something's not quite right. I know what you mean. But you don't have to invest the time on analytically going through what the change sure. in the detail is. Do you know what I mean? It's so, like, it's a, so it's important that you, that you recognise that, like, that there might be a sabre tooth, but you that? don't have to know. Oh, hang on a second. Like, there's exactly a sabre tooth. Like, what? <laughs> Something <laughs> weird's gone. There is. There has been a disturbance what? in the force. What? <laughs> anyway, they, this was about they they, they they spun this about sixth sense. They thought, well, some people think they've got a sixth sense for being able to deduce things. And okay. They said, they said it's a very compelling feeling that you have a sensing ability, and you do have a sensing ability, it's just not magical. A boy's born in Hot Mississippi. 
surrounded by four walls that ain't so pretty. His parents give him love and affection to keep him strong, moving in the right direction, living just enough, just enough for the city. For the city. Absolute cracker. This is absolute cracker. I love the little dialogue bit in the middle. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Um so I was uh thinking about living for the city, right? And I have got I've got a a hypothesis for you. I want you to see. So so now this year apparently in the UK, we um uh just uh the number of people that live in cities in urban environments and in rural environments has uh, equalised for the first time ever, right? We're actually, there's as many people living in the countryside as we're living in cities. People are moving back. Exactly, oh. yeah. Um, and uh, so I was thinking about it, like, does that affect... Do I live in the countryside? Yeah, it's Salisbury, yeah, the countryside. Totally Salisbury's the city. No. It's no. de facto city. <laughs> and I live within the ring road. <laughs> so there I'm an urbanite. Okay, you're an urbanite. Um, <laughs> as long as we've got our definitions down. Um, but I was thinking about like, and so there's actually quite a lot of studies uh, about various different parameters about people's health, about whether they choose to live in cities or in the um, uh, in the countryside. Mm. Um, and there's, there's a study from 2012 uh, called "Widening Rural Urban Disparities in Life Expectancy: The U.S. Looking from 1969 to 2009." Oh man, this sounds like a cracking read. So, which do you think it is? There's two schools of thought, right? One of them is is that if you live in the city. Uh, then you're exposed to pollution. So we're talking about life expectancy. You know, are you going to live longer if you live in the countryside or if you live in the city? If yeah. you live in the middle of the city, then you can you can you get access to hospitals much faster. Yeah. You know, so you can get to hospital if you are ill. Yeah. You know, easier to buy quinoa. Quin- exactly. Lots of, lots of green vegetables. The posh. People, people will bring probably bring it to your house. Yes. Or you smashed avocado yeah, 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 as far yeah. as the eye can see. True. Especially in North London. True. True. Um, but yeah. if you live in the countryside, then you've got wonderful air, great expanses. Uh, so you can live a lot, maybe a slightly slower life, less yeah. stress. See the horizon. Exactly. So, so in the so you know, I'm going to look. At the, we found this study from America. Uh, from America, this isn't in the UK. Uh, from 1969 to 2009, by a guy called G.K. Singh. And what do you think it is? Which way around do you think it is? Um, I think it depends on which country you're in. This is the US. Oh, Steve, in the US, Stevie Wonder is American. So I that's why we're going to do it. I think I think there's socio-economic differences, and I would say the cities. So what they found is that life expectancy was inversely related to the levels of rural, rural, rural gosh, ruralness, rural rurality. Is what rurality is that for hood? That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> in 2005 to 2009, those in large metropolitan areas had a life expectancy of 79.1 years, compared to 76.6 years in small urban towns and 76 years in rural areas. I think if you controlled for um, income and things like that, they, they would did, just they did balance do that. out. Yeah, actually, they did do that. So when stratified by gender, race and income, life expectancy ranged from 67 years among poor black men in non-metropolitan areas to 89.6 years among poor Asian Pacific Islanders in metropolitan areas. Hmm. But it's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. Living for the city. Golden Lady. What does that make you think about? It probably makes you think of something smutty, doesn't it? 
knowing you. I'm sure a golden lady is something on the internet. So, I mean, I just immediately thought about the death of um, Jill Matheson in Goldfinger. Ah, of course. James Bond. You know how she died? Uh, Was something about her skin couldn't breathe or something? Yeah, she was painted in gold gold paint by Goldfinger teach you a lesson because she was helping James Bond trick Goldfinger there was also, and don't they say in that there's like oh you have to leave a little patch of skin in the base yeah. of the and I, even when I was a kid I watched that and I had no scientific but training actually, I was like that seems so weird and actually I had to look back at the scene and James Bond Sean Connery he says there's certain dancers there are dancers who paint themselves but they always yeah. leave some flesh uncovered so they don't die but it's nonsense. <laughs> I thought it would be nonsense. It's total nonsense. Is it really? Nonsense. 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 Well, we don't absorb you know how gas. I know? We don't absorb gas through our skin. That's why. Um, so the Mythbusters did it. Unfortunately, ah. they got their first. Well, there we go. Conclusive and scientific they did it. evidence they, they from did the Mythbusters. It. They did it twice. So they covered one of the dudes, and his blood pressure went really high after he covered him. In after paint. he covered him, so they thought something going on it. But then they did the other dude a bit later on. He was fine. fine. I thought the temperature would go up because you could get warmer, right? I can understand that, yeah. Yeah, but no, nothing happens. Do you no. know what would kill you if you're uh, painted in gold? Probably heavy metal poisoning, probably. Well, oh, no, gold, it's gold's all right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah no. But like, how would you paint someone in actual gold metal? Uh, how would you paint them in gold, gold metal? Gold metal. Oh, you could, you, could, you, could, you could melt it. Do you know how hot gold is when it's... 2,600 degrees or something. 1,064. Okay. So, yeah, she would have died if Goldfinger had actually painted with molten lead. Because molten gold. Molten gold, sorry, molten gold. Because she would have got burned. But, but yeah, okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. You can, you can paint people with gold leaf, though. You could sort of plaster on gold leaf. Yeah, it's a good fam- point. Famously, it's not really paint, there. though, is it? It's Science. gold leaf. Well, gold leaf is how um, Rutherford discovered the nucleus, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Firing um, alpha nuclei. Yeah. Do, you alpha know, do you know who pod- his... Um, his graduate students did that experiment. Yeah, I do actually. JJ something or other? No. It was Geiger oh. of the Geiger Council. Oh, was it? And uh, Marsden of the Marsden Hospitals. Oh, I didn't know that. Imagine that's that. Amazing. Imagine that. Those PhD students. What those monsters. Yeah. Anyway, that's the golden lady for you. The golden lady. Higher ground, Nick. Ah, oh, so this tune I came across first through the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, because they've got a really rocking version of it. Okay, uh, do you know what this made me think of? No. I'm going to play you something, and, you've yeah. got to, and then we can have a discussion. Are you okay. ready? Yeah. It's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! No. That is in... Gladiator or something? No. It's not a film. Anakin. How many Anakins do you know? Uh, Skywalker. Yeah. Oh, is he saying? What did he say? It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. Oh, right. If you remember, that's when Obi Wan Kenobi's fighting Darth Vader. Is that in episode three? three Yeah. On the the molten lava. Exactly. And that's a bit we chopped. To be honest with you, I got so over those Star Wars films. Wasn't that bad? I. (laughs) (laughs) So I watched the first one, and I think I enjoyed it in a kind of like. And then the second one was pants. Second one was pants. And I think I watched. The, I've only watched the third one once. Okay. Well, I can't. I, I find that hating the, that act in, in, insufferable. Right. It's bad. What do you All think, the stuff. What do you think the, of you and as Ben? Well, he's like wood, isn't he? He's like a plank of wood. <laughs> he's not good in it, is he? Let's be honest. Um, well, if, if for those of you that don't know, that's the scene at the end of Star Wars Episode Three: Return of the Sith, Revenge of the Sith. And it's the bit just before when uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi chops off uh, um, Anakin Skywalker's legs, and that's what makes him become Darth Vader. Yes. 
Anyway, for some reason, apparently, standing a little bit higher means that you always win a lightsaber fight. You know, don't really understand that. But Yeah, but um, you, I can see that, because you have to use energy to get closer to the other dude. Also, they said that in in The Rock, your favourite film, didn't Nick? When, remember? When oh, they, yeah. they break into the shower, and they're all around. They're like, we have a... <laughs> I can now give that order! I can give them spills the same blood in the same month! That's the Yeah, because they have the high ground. Um, anyway, I so, so I was thinking about the physics of lightsabers. Oh. Right, for, but because of... Uh, well, I know how they work. There's basically a plastic thing with a battery in it at the end and a long plastic stick <laughs> with some with, kind with of light. light. Bulb I had one in about 1983. Right, okay. <laughs> so problem solved. Yeah, um, yeah, Why yeah. are people worrying about something? Yeah, they already exist. Exactly. Um, so, no, I, I came across, there's quite a few, as you'd imagine, there's quite a lot of physics nerds out there. And yeah, I can imagine. Of, and oh, this could go on a while. I'm, I'm already <laughs> feeling it in my bones. Um, well... <laughs> So what they're talking about um, oh. is, uh, it's actually quite interesting. <laughs> is, so, it, is it? Is it? So That remains to be seen, Steve. <laughs> well, there are two, two aspects of lightsabers, right? One is they can cut stuff with yes. light. Yeah. And the other stuff is they bounce off each other, right? Yeah. So when you, when, you, when, you get, when you fight, when you hit, clash out lightsabers You're together. repelling each other. Yeah. So but that's a quite a strange property. So the first one you can understand, right? We can use lasers to cut things out. Yeah, hot. Very happy. It's make, hot. It's it's make, hot. Make stuff hot. Right? Yeah. And then stuff melts and then you can cut stuff. Yeah. But, but when you, but you think about it now, right? So the thing, you and I are sat across the table and we, mm. we can see each other and we can yeah. see each other despite the fact there's, you know, shit tons of Wi-Fi and radio waves and all this EM stuff that's passing between us, including visible light, which, which doesn't interact with other photons, right? Yeah. So, so, so that, that bit kind of seems a bit false, right? I don't, know, I don't know what you, where you're going. What do you mean? So, so if I tried to, so, so, so you're saying if you've got a laser beam, you'd only see the laser beam like if you, so I'm imagining a laser beam, you can only see it when you put loads of smoke there. Yeah, because it bounces scattering light, it. Yeah, it's got, well, it bounces. So you're off, saying so. that if you've got a laser, you wouldn't see it because uh, it would just be shooting in no, one I'm direction. A lightsaber has to have this property, right? That, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. Normally, light doesn't do that. If so I the light must be scattering around, bouncing off shit somehow. Well, no, but then they bounce off each other. But the so light strange, bounces off. Yeah. So like, so, so it doesn't normally do that. So if I take two laser beams and cross them, yeah. it doesn't like it doesn't. They don't. They don't feel each other. There's yeah. no repulsive. No, force. no, no, no. But is it's not? It's not laser though, is it? It's the lightsaber. No, it's called a I'm, lightsaber. But that could just be a stylized name. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That may not represent what it is. It could be a stick of some new material which just is like so red or so, green or blue. So up until 2016, there was never a yellow. Has there been a yellow one? Uh, I bet you that. I bet there has. Uh, I'm not going to backtrack. There's purple. There's purple. In Mace Windu's one was purple. Oh, okay. Anyway, so so here's the problem, right? That when the, the light doesn't feel each other in it when they pass this, and that's why that's why we're not. That's why I can see you because light. Yeah. Light's not bouncing off. Of so you're making the assumption that it's light. It's a, li- a, light. a lightsaber okay. is probably light. Maybe yeah, it's just I think not that's... very heavy. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it were metal. <laughs> I love the thought of there being a heavy saber. <laughs> Yeah, no, okay. so you're right, you're absolutely right. The fact that it glows with light and it's called a lightsaber, I made that assumption that it was not to do with its yeah, mass. that's fine, I'm just checking. I just want to get things straight. <laughs> okay, well, actually, what I said is not quite true. So there is a thing, at very high energies, photons do bounce off each other. It's called photon-photon or gamma-gamma scattering. There's people mm. studying it. It was first shown in 2016 at the Large Hadron Collider. Really? Right? So if you, if you hammer some really intense photons at really high energies, you can only do this in particle accelerators at the moment, mm. they bounce off each other and they do interact. Right? Wow, okay. So think about it, right? Uh, what's really intense? 
fucking lightsaber is really intense, isn't it? It's yeah, really intense energy. Yeah. So, so it's not. There is some physics behind it, and they were looking at it. It's, it's, it's actually really important in physics because you can imagine as you get really high energy um, photons in cosmic rays, right, off the ch charts kind of yeah. levels, and actually. Some some people reason, think that one of the some astronomers think that some of the reasons we can't see very like uh, th there's some limit to how far we can see in the universe, not necessarily because of the expansion of the universe, but because at some high energies, what's happening is that the photons from the cosmic from cosmic rays are interacting with the cosmic uh, background microwave radiation right. and scattering, so they're feeling each other. Well, I I think from what I understand, like you know. When you look with a telescope into yeah. space, you're looking back in time. Yeah. And you can look back in time to something like 300,000 years after the Big Bang. Yeah. Which is where the cosmic microwave background radiation began. Yeah. And yeah. that's because before that, light wasn't allowed to travel. Sure. So but, light but was, the universe was opaque to light before that. But, but so, so this is what they were trying to say. So, so the, the value is 80 tera electron volts is the photon energy required to do it. Which What's is a, a tera? Terra is 10 to the... It's a lot of noughts. Let's just say it's uh, a lot of noughts. Yeah. 10 to shed load of noughts. 18? Yeah, something like that. No, okay. 12, I think. Okay. 10 to the 12. Um, okay, isn't that a giga? Just fact check me there. Um, uh, which has a wavelength of 10 to the minus 20 metres, right? So tiny, tiny wavelengths of light. Um, uh, and actually, they think that some regions of the... Of the, of the um, of the universe are opaque because of this, because of this gamma-gamma interaction. So it's actually the same physics that maybe, you know, that allows lightsabers to bounce off each other, mm. that also, you know, is important in astronomy. That's amazing. Hello, Jesus. Jesus, children. Jesus loves you. Jesus, children of America. All right, I'm hoping for this one. Are we just going to debate the existence of God for two hours? No, no oh. of course we're not. That would be um, would be silly. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to pick out. No one could ever describe this podcast as silly, so that's fine. <laughs> so it's about. I mean, he's it's the 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 lyrics. If you listen to this tune all the way through, the lyrics yeah. are kind of like a bit sort of random. Holy, holy Jesus, yeah. like that. But he mentions um Transcendental meditation, right? In part of it. Have you heard of transcendental meditation? Is that when you come out of your body and see you see your body meditating? Interesting. I don't really know. I've right. researched it a bit, but not. You know, I haven't gone to the nth degree. You haven't gone to. Uh, you haven't gone to India. Not to, yet. To study in a cave. No, but that's where it came from. Yeah. So transcendental meditation. I remember, like, it was big in the eighties. Yeah. Sting was into it. And it was big in the sixties, and I think the Sting's Beatles, friend of friend of science. So finals, George thing. Harrison, all of this, the, all that sitar music, yeah. that all came from a place of transcendental meditation. I'll just read to you what it is based on the website. It's got a trademark. Is it? Is it really? It's a TM. Really yeah. TM. It's got a trademark. Lots of bad science here. It's I'm, a simple. I'm, I'm going to brace myself for some bad science. It's a <gasps> simple. You'll be bracing yourself a long time. It's a simple, natural, effortless technique practiced twenty minutes twice a day while sitting comfortably. <laughs> It enables mind and body to access a special quality of rest. Over six million people of all ages, cultures and religions have learned transcendental meditation. Anyone can learn. Here's a quote from, from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Life finds its purpose and fulfillment in the expansion of happiness. I find it slightly uncomfortable you doing an Indian accent, but let's go for it. Well, he's an Indian guy and okay. he speaks with an Indian accent. I've heard him speak. Okay. So I don't oh, he's alive. Okay. 
It's transcendental. It's not, oh, like, maybe it's not, not. It's not maybe an ancient dead. thing. No, he's. You can see loads of videos of him on YouTube right, and okay. stuff. He was a dude hanging out, you know, long. T- you know, in the, I think he was the, the chap in the sixties. He was. Um, he's a yogi. Anyway, the uh, just some some other facts which are going to ring alarm bells in Steve's ear. Is so, this find find facts to annoy me? <laughs> TM mediators are instructed to keep their mantra secret to ensure maximum results. Speaking aloud defeats the purpose. What's, so a mantra is what usually the thing you sing to yourself, is it? Or what's the? So the only way you can learn is through one-to-one instruction by a certified TM teacher. How does one become certified? Do they pay two thousand pounds. Well, that? you have to have one-on-one instruction. There's nothing on the internet about how to do it, and you have to keep your mantra secret. It's about chanting, I think. Right. To avoid confusion in the mind of the mediators. Sounds a bit fishy, doesn't it? We can't tell you what it is. You have to pay. (laughs) One of our our foot soldiers. But it says at the end, there are more than 380 peer-reviewed research articles on the techniques being published Mm. in more than 100... Dude, Mm. there are very good quality papers. Okay, So there's a scientific statement from the American Heart Association, which is the church charity equivalent to the British Heart Foundation. Yep, they're, they're the real deal. It's the only meditation practice, this is according to them. Right. This is what they are saying in a statement. Statement on their website or? On their own website. Okay. So this yeah. is like, okay. The only meditation practice has been shown to lower blood pressure. All other meditation techniques received a class three no benefit recommendation. This one, however, is recommended. So it has got a, quite a lot of good evidence behind it. But you don't know what it is. Yeah, I've got one here. <laughs> this is a, a bit unfair. So there's a randomised... You've got a magic bean, basically, and you can't have the magic bean. I reckon if you looked in, the, in detail in the papers, it would say exactly what they did. Right. I think it would so be unfair could, if they didn't, right? It wouldn't be particularly scientific. So a randomised controlled trial, they did a follow-up of five years. There was a 48% risk reduction in the primary endpoint in the TM group. Is the control group, though, people that are doing other forms of meditation? Yeah. Or is it people that just, like, sat at home yeah. eating Cheetos? I can't, I can't remember it specifically, yeah. but it was um, quite well controlled. But there's lots of different data on it, it working. So there you go, Steve. Transcendental meditation. Jesus, it works. children of America. You should do it, Steve. Maybe I will. Maybe I should just go away for for a fo- for like forty days. I think that's the standard period for that this kind of thing. I think so. And yeah. And just go into a that's like the, the quanta of time required. I think to do you should definitely do it, spiritual. Steve. Yeah. I'll come back and I'll be. Be like, careful what you wish for. for. I'll have attained intergalactic spiritual oneness, and uh, and uh, and the, the science shed will be reborn. <laughs> All is fair in love. Love's a crazy game. Nick. Yes. All in love is fair. Discuss. Mm, well, I think there'd be a lot of people who would disagree with that. Yeah. I think, um, I, yeah. Genocide. What, what does fair mean? Yeah, exactly. What does fair mean? <laughs> We're a GCSE <laughs> philosophy debate here. Um, no, so what I wanted to talk to you about here was, well, so I was thinking about Cupid. You know, Cupid makes makes two people fall in love. He's with the dude fires, fires hanging around in Piccadilly Circus, isn't he? Yeah, the, is that Cupid? No, that's Eros. Eros. Statue of Eros. Isn't Eros just Cupid, the, but in another language? I think so, yeah. Um, but normally he fires an arrow, right? Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about something about firing an arrow. It's really interesting. It's called the Archer's Paradox. Have you ever come across this? 
Oh, I think I know about this. Right. So the arrow of someone or other. No, no, no. Not that one. No, this is much more fundamental, right? Oh, yeah. So it's a little bit difficult to explain, so you've got to stay with me, right? So if you imagine a longbow, like, you know, kind of medieval cartoon longbow, right? And if you imagine uh, the string lines directly behind the bow on a longbow, right? So not like a compound bow or one of these fancy new ones, like an old school one. Now, if you imagine if you take an arrow, if you're trying to fire at something, you point your the, the front bit of the bow towards what you're trying to shoot. And, yeah. now, and now but what happens, your arrow is like pointing slightly to the right or slightly to the left because it's got to go round the bow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So what you have to do, so you pull it back and the closer it gets to the bow, if you think about it, the, the larger the angle. Oh, right? yeah. I so, can imagine that. So, so you've got your string. Yeah. And then the arrow is kind of on a slight angle. And, and then you let the, go. As you... As you the, 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 that side of the triangle becomes shorter and shorter. The, the angle, angle gets between larger. the hypotenuse and that side, whatever that's so called, you the adjacent, gets greater. Exactly. So, you so it's going to bend off somewhere. You'd expect every time you let go of an arrow, it wangs off to the left or happens. wangs off to the right. But obviously, but obviously it doesn't. Doesn't right? it? So do you know why? This is so cool. No. I really don't know why. Let me think. Okay. So, I've so, thought. I so don't you, know. So, you get, so, so, so modern day bows have a little bit cut out, so you can cheat basically. So you can aim the arrow directly where you want to go. You let it go; it flies straight, right? Yeah. But long bows can't do that. No. They have to go round the corner, right? Right. Um, so uh, the way they do it, this is so cool, right? Is it's about the you know if you uh, do you know you know a standing wave? You get a skipping rope and you wobble it. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. At some point, you get these points with these no. nodal, nodal points where they're not moving. No. Right? So the stiffness of the arrow in the in the in the archer community is called the spine, right? So what archers do is if you can imagine as you let go of an arrow, it starts to bend slightly, and as it accelerates towards the bow strain energy builds up in because it's being pushed against the it's being pushed back on yeah, by the front yeah, of the bow yeah. and then what happens is it wobbles back the other way when the strain energy gets too high so what it does is as you let it go the strain energy in the bow wobbles one way wobbles the other way and wobbles the other way so it moves in a path in like a wave right. when you let it go and that's and it's the wave that allows it to go round the bow so the wave is in the actual string so, so, not so the, in the long line no no in the bow in the arrow in the, in the, no 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 the arrow the arrow the arrow bends left and right like a wobbly like a wobbly cane wow we should look at a slow motion I will thing show about. you I've got one queued up oh, I'll do it right mate. now oh. Let, let's have a look Um, Nick, explain what you saw, because it's quite difficult to explain over the, the medium, but it's really cool. Quite mental. So it's a really slow motion video. You pull it all the way back. As he releases it, the arrow immediately starts off looking straight, and then it bends. The front tip of the arrow appears to bend away from the wooden bit at the front. What's that called again? Uh, the one bit at the, the front spine. of the bone. No, the spine's the, the, the flex the the in the arrow. So yeah. it bends that way, and as it moves forward, it's almost like the... Um, the, the bow follows the curve of it and it bends back the other way and then it carries on wobbling after so, it's so flown it's out. So because the, the, the arrow is wobbling left and right and yeah. because it wobbles left and right, it can wobble around the yeah. front so of the bow. So it carries on wobbling after it's left the it bow does as continue. well. So it yeah. spins in the air, which yeah. gives it stability, but yeah. it continues to wobble left and right. So archers, what they do, they have a machine that measures the spine, how much, so they're really good archers no, you, obviously you have to get really familiar with the amount of strain, the, 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 the how stiff your your arrows are. If they're too wobbly, yeah. then you'll miss stuff. Yeah. Right? So actually, yeah, it's all considered. Um, it's all about um, the archer's paradox. It's amazing. Amazing. <laughs>
This is my favourite on the album. Is it? This is my favourite. It is a nice tune. Um, so I was thinking about worry. Do you worry? So we should. Say, it's don't worry about a thing. Is the do track. you worry? Yeah, I worry about almost everything. You worry. You worry. Yeah. Do you ever get pathological? Do you ever uh, lose sleep? Wonderful. Well, do you I lose don't sleep? sleep much? But but yeah, do you like? I don't. Do you lie in bed and you worry about things? No, I wake up and worry about things. I probably I worry from time to time. I think everyone does. Sometimes it interrupts my sleep. Wake yeah. up early in the morning thinking. Who am I? What, what, what is this? Why, why is this happening? Why doesn't the arrow hit the why, bow? Why, why am I? What, what's the point? Yeah. Anyway, a lot of people, it's a serious problem. People have anxiety sure. disorders and they're medicalised and all the rest of it. There are drugs. Yeah. Can you name any anti-anxiety medications? Uh, Xanax. Yeah, Xanax. Pro something, pro... Alprazolam. 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 There's, there's, there's lots of different classes of them. Prozac. Big, big, big business. Yes, huge. A lot of people are addicted to um, uh, Xanax these days. You can buy it on the dark web. Can you? Yeah, I've got a shitload of packets in my airing cupboard. <laughs> it's all past the cell really, day, but I reckon it's all right. I don't really I don't really have much interesting to say about this, but they work by inhibiting... Serotonin? No, they don't inhibit anything. All right. They agonise something called the GABA pathway. Yeah. Yeah, in the so brain. GABA's in your, your um, synapses, right? Yeah, yeah, but I don't think they really know how it works. Do you know how alcohol works? They think it does something similar, oh, but no one really knows why. Oh, there you go. That's the end of that one. <laughs> so ba- basically, I want to say, basically you say that it, no one really knows. Just don't worry about it, Steve. Don't you worry about a Nick, we're already at the end of the album. Are we? Yeah. Oh, good. Right. <laughs> He's Mr. Know-It-All. Oh, it's a classic. Do you, like classic. Do you know who Mr. Know-It-All was, who he was referring to? Uh, well, actually, so it's, they think it might be Nixon. That's what I thought. Yeah, um, but Is it's that... not been confirmed. Okay. Um, essentially, it's about a confidence trickster, the, the song. Um, the yeah. the man came, with a plan. As we said at the beginning, he was re-elected. Counterfeit dollar in his hand, mm. yeah. So um, I was thinking about confidence tricksters in science. Right. Oh yeah, I like that. I yeah. came across a really nice thing. You're like, there's this guy called uh, Philip Davis who was a graduate student, PhD student in Cornell. Is he a dodgy dealer? No, he's not. He's brilliant actually. <laughs> so he was getting annoyed by um, confidence tricksters. Wh- no, he was getting annoyed by scientific publishing and how people just publish stuff. It costs stuff, and like, and publishers are they really doing peer review? Yeah. All that kind of stuff, right? So he made a completely nonsensical computer-generated paper, right? <laughs> right, which is which I have up here. The paper's called "Deconstructing Access Points," right? And I'll give you. It's really interesting because it tells you a lot about how academics write papers, right? It makes no. It's complete gobbledygook, right? Yeah. But I'm going to read it. it. Says. The synthesis of the Ethernet is a confusing grand challenge. Given the current status of the knowledge-based archetype, statisticians particularly desire the refinement of superpages, which embodies the practical principles of software engineering. In order to address this riddle, we investigated how web browsers can be applied to the construction of the Ethernet. Right? Like it sounds like it, like, a, like a scientific paper read, but it's all rubbish. Right? It doesn't mean anything. And there's graphs in it. Like I'll show you the thing. There's graphs in it. It's like, you know, it's it's all written and highlighted in a computer. The, can in, I read what the yeah. figure The mean clock speed of our system as a function of popularity of object-oriented languages. <laughs> it's all rubbish, right? So, so, <laughs> this is a great so joke. So he sent it to this journal uh, called the Open Information Science Journal, which is published by uh, Bentham Science Publishers. I which, mean, they're a well-known science publisher. Yeah, publishers. exactly, right? Yeah. 
Um, and he, they also they put a couple of little little Easter eggs in there you know, that might be rubbish. And they, they, they put their affiliation on the paper as the Centre for Research in Applied Phrenology, or CRAP. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, four months later, it was accepted for publication. No way. And they, they sent him a bill for 800 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe this? Anyway, I'm going to... Yes, I can believe it. <laughs> like I certainly can believe it. So Did anyone review it? What, uh, who knows? No like, one knows. In conclusion, uh, I'll read you the conclusions of the paper. So there's references, there's graphs, there's figures. I'll, I'll, I'll link the, 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 the paper in the um, description, in the show notes. So this is the conclusion of the paper. In conclusion, in our research, we explored trifiling thamine, a method for virtual methodologies, to accomplish this ambition for unstable models, we constructed a new metamorphic algorithm. Continuing with that rationale, our algorithm has set precedent for suffix trees, and we expect that the systems engineers will analyse trifling thymine for years to come. We expect to see many futurists moving to study trifling thymine in the very near future. Oh my <laughs> god. Complete, complete rubbish. Complete made Which up is rubbish. the exact opposite of the album, which is complete, complete Fantastic brilliant. Album. And that is in a vision. We got to the end. Listeners, we've reached the end of of, uh, of Visions by Stevie Wonder. Those of you who are regular listeners realise that we get a uh, consigliere, a confidant. Uh, you know, essentially a p- person that we here at Science Final really look up to to help us evaluate the best um, track on the album. Hello! It's Brian! How are you doing? <laughs> hey, Brian, how are you doing? Oh, great, man. I love it's... him. He's a Stevie Wonder. <laughs> He's got so a bit great. of fun. I love him. <laughs> you love him? Yeah, I love him. He's brilliant, isn't he? Do you love him I more than Shaggy? I to say, I love you. Do you like that one? I love that one, yeah. Me and it my would, wife's favourite. You're married, Brian. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Did you not How know that? How have we been friends for so long? Marjorie. What's, Marjorie and Marjorie, Brian. Yeah. What does Marjorie do for a living? <laughs> she doesn't do much. She'll stay in the house. Uh, she makes okay. cups of tea. I bet she makes a good cup of tea, doesn't she? makes she? a good cup of tea. Um, but then I don't do much either. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Spend your, spend your time down, down the canal. I like that. Didn't you? It's a great album. You like this one? I like a bit of Stevie. I like a bit of funky disco type stuff. And I love a bit of a sort of bit jazzy, isn't it? It is a bit jazzy, yeah. Is that anyway. your... You, you, do you like to get your, your groove on? Yeah, Brian, I love you it. like to go for a little dance? I love it. Yeah, after you've had a few pints of Banksy. Superstition. Yeah, it's not on this one now, is it? It's not on Anyway, What's I like favorite? living in the city. Living in the city. Living for the city. Living for the city. Living in the city. <laughs> I love it, because I live in the city. Living. City of Wolverhampton. The greatest city. City, Millennium City, in it? Is it the greatest city in the world? It's absolutely the best city in us, Boston, mate. Anyway... Thanks. Bye. Bye.